0: Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, I'm joined by two of the brightest businessmen in Atlanta, David Dieter and Jim Holman. David is the founding partner of Fraser Dieter, one of the country's largest and fastest growing accounting firms. Jim is an up and coming leader in the Atlanta business community. He's a recent graduate of UVA and Harvard Business School and is currently working at Boston Consulting Group. While both of these men work for some of the most successful and powerful businesses in Atlanta and in the US, they both love Jesus and they take their faith very seriously. We'll be talking today about what it means to take your faith into the workplace. How are Christians to balance the command of Jesus to obey Him and to make disciples with a workplace that is becoming more and more secular? This is a necessary and helpful conversation. So thank you for joining us as we think through it. So I want to spend a little time talking to you guys today about what does it look like to be a person of faith, to be a Christian in the workplace? And is this even possible uh, in a secular environment? And and if it is possible, then what does it look like? How should we as Christians be thinking about that? Uh, And I think a good place to start is kind of with some of the language of the day, which is the subtle uh, movement away from something that we've held dear as Americans freedom of religion to freedom of worship it's been interesting if you watch election news cycle that's the language that you're seeing it's it's and it sounds great right because freedom of worship like who doesn't want that like we all want that but actually it's this subtle undermining of the Christian faith and all that it means to be a Christian. And so, you know, just any general comments on that. Our faith doesn't lead us to just worship. Our faith leads us to live totally different lives. Um, you know, how have you guys come to an understanding of that? How have you Seeing that manifest itself in your own life, you know, just in general to start, and have you kind of felt the crunch of freedom of worship versus freedom of religion? Keep that to yourself; that's for your own private thing. I mean, what does that look like in your worlds?
1: Well, Jason, I think it's a great question. Um, I've thought about this a lot through the years, and I would say, big picture, that I'm a, I have followed and. Um, been able to integrate my faith and in the marketplace. And there's a lot of angles to that. One is, uh, we have such good news and so much uh, principles that work in a business environment that you really can't separate them. If you're a follower of Jesus, we have such good principles, that um, we have such good news that really I'm compelled To use that in the workplace.
2: How about you, Jim? Any kind of general thoughts on that? So I I definitely agree with what David shared. So and you know of course the two of us are kind of at different points in our career at this point. So I've I've at this point worked at two different uh, employers. One of which was a large Fortune one hundred company. My first job out of college I was with the Walt Disney Company, Uh, and about a year or so ago I joined a large management consulting firm. So you know different side of the table, but oftentimes sitting in rooms at large Fortune 100 or Fortune 200 companies. And so all that goes to say that these tend to be very traditional corporate America buttoned down style environments where, Jason, I can really relate to a lot of, I think, the spirit of the question you were getting into. And you really do, at least from my experience, you really do see quite a bit of, you uh, The work environment being buttoned down and i wouldn't say being openly opposed to freedom of religion but the ways that i've seen people bring faith across in the workplace have been much more freedom of worship sure yeah and so it is a challenge right um and i think what david was alluding to regarding how you live your life how you manage the characteristics that you embody at work is a really valuable opportunity to bring that across but more direct ways like more directly bringing up faith at work and more directly trying to disciple people or trying to spread the word to people, I would say has become quite taboo. And I have seen that. And you know, what's interesting about
0: that is to your point, David, obviously, you know, character, nobility, whatever word you want to use, good principles, all of this is grounded in something, right? The reason that we value fairness is because we're made in the image of God. Be, you know, there, there is something deeper that we all know to be true. There are absolute truths. And so if you're operating under those truths and people are seeing that and valuing that, even in the Fortune 100 company that, that wouldn't give, that doesn't care what it's grounded in, that but, but it still celebrates the good that comes out of that and that to me is is the tension there Mm -hmm. that i'm kind of wondering you know where are we going in a secular america if we so abandon if you will freedom of religion if we so abandon the fact that natural law is grounded in something that is real and good and eternal and right grounded in god it's grounded in an understanding of theism, then what's going to happen to the house when you when you pull out the foundation, um, and what is going to be celebrated in those cultures? And you know, I think to a certain degree, the election of last year was helpful because it kind of it kind of showed. I think our country we kind of saw like okay, like all the rules are off now. <laughs> and this is like what cutthroat when it all costs kind of looks like and this is kind of what a secular america is like um i don't know that that's like manifested itself in like you said kind of the button-down companies where you still see a poster of integrity on the wall or something like that but what is what is grounding that and and that if, if you if you lose faith in Christ, if we lose religion, if we lose, you know, to, to use kind of an American term, this Judeo-Christian background that we have, um, mm-hmm. what's going to hold that up? And again, I, I know that we're kind of getting off our initial subject here, but that's that's something that yeah. I think about. Um, you know, and, and so in a workplace, and maybe this one, of course, is more for you, Jim, in that kind of environment, like, if, if you're not allowed to express you know, explicitly express your faith, what is that? What is that um, that they would say, okay, this is grounded in X or such or Y.
2: What makes these things true and real? I mean, do you hear that kind of talk or... um Sure. Yeah, so I I actually want to take a step back and go to, I think, a question that you alluded to when you were speaking just now. And I, I do have a hypothesis on this, right? Like, a lot of the reason that people might not as expi- have as explicit of conversations about Christianity at work might be because of the fact that in a traditional environment it that used to be a majority position right, right? Yeah. if you go back 50 years in america if most people are christian then you're not having seminars about you know christianity at work and how to you do it you get that right? on sunday right well yeah. i'm not even saying that right Oh, like, seminars of so, christianity at work yeah, but, yeah. So, like, but even like sem- seminars on character
0: right? you know you're getting that anyway yeah
2: well, right yeah. No, I, I guess the point that I'm making is more if the majority of people at a workplace are Christian, and if you have the true Cathys of the world and some of the celebrated Christian leaders that we've seen leading enterprises where Christian values are at the center, then carving out a position and being the Christian guy or one of a few Christian guys at work just isn't as much of a challenge. Sure, yeah. But in a world where we have I mean, the reason Christ Covenant Buckhead was founded was, what, 7 or 8% of people in Buckhead are practicing Christians. That changes quite a bit. So just to go back and kind of comment on the antecedents. So your question that you just asked was, in absence of Christianity at the center, what do companies lean on? Is that a proper interpretation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's more of society at whole, but yeah, specifically, okay.
2: specifically for companies. Yeah. Well, you see companies trying to sub in value statements and, you know, moral codes and things like that, that, uh, might describe a lot of the characteristics of how to operate a pure business, but wouldn't go so far as to say Christ's love. Um, so I don't know. I mean, basically the question is how in absence of Christ's love, how do you, live a pure life and or just uh, I don't the other God. That, like
0: right? what anchors those value statements? What anchors even I mean we're getting into you know more philosophical stuff now, but like what where do you anchor truth? Um you know, this is the problem with secularism in general, right? Is what is the you know what is the ethic that uh, holds it all together? Um, Other than like make money and be successful or other than survival of the fittest, you know, I mean, so Where is the ethic that's holding this thing together? You know outside of Christianity Again, we've kind of got off on a trail here, but uh,
2: uh, Yeah, I'm just kind of curious how that if anybody's even asking that question in the workplace Sure, so uh, I have a couple of comments David. I'm curious to hear your perspective on this too Uh, so I just graduated from business school about a year ago now and the I don't wanna say slogan, the sort of mantra of the school that I went to was that we seek to educate leaders who make a difference in the world. And the word positive was not in that statement, but we were reminded several times that we want to educate leaders who make a positive difference in the world. And so you you see things like that, right? Like trying to, uh, another way to say it is expand the art of the possible. My current employer uses that one. Um, Trying to help achieve Greater things in terms of product and offerings to consumers. Trying to maintain corporate integrity. There are again, there are tangential things to this that might box it in somewhat, but nothing that really gets, I think, at the core of what you're saying. Yeah,
1: yeah I think if you look at uh, most of the corporate mission statements, most of them are going to line up with Judeo-Christian principles um, because they're going to have. We're gonna treat our employees fair. We're gonna serve our customers. I mean, I think most of that is gonna line up with our our teaching. I wanna go back to something I said a while ago about in the workplace. A lot of the associates that I work with that are closer to you guys' age, I think in some ways it's easier to talk about faith in that they know zero. They didn't grow up going to Sunday school. They didn't grow up. I mean, it's so fascinating. Even here in the, in the Sunbelt, or in the bible belt these 23 24 25 year olds know nothing they've never heard the cosmic story of the bible of Jesus that he created things and the fall of man and he came and lived as a peasant and he's coming back they I had this exact conversation a few weeks ago with a young lady and she's I've never heard anything like that yeah. so i think it's an opportunity really to be more on front lines as opposed to Folks are closer to my age. I mean, everyone went to church and they were really, they were indoctrinated and they were sort of inoculated. So now these young people don't know it. So it's in a way, it's more exciting uh, because you're really front lines.
0: Yeah. And they're not as... uh skeptical of it maybe, the younger people. Um,
1: I think they're, the ones I've talked to recently, they're actually fascinated by it. Yeah. Like, I've never heard that before, That's I can't believe it. There's a strength in
0: kind of what you were talking about earlier, Jim, of being the persecuted minority. You know, like, and not that we're like the persecuted minority, but when you become the minority, there's actually a strength in that, right? Because you're the different thing. And I think this is kind of what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Like, there's not many 23, 24 year olds in Atlanta, that are serious about their faith, or that you, as you're saying, that even really know much about their faith, mm-hmm. or even have faith. And so, if someone does that, it's kind of like the minority. It's cool. It's it's oh, this guy's different. Mm-hmm. This guy. Um, and so, yeah, I think mm-hmm. you know, as challenging as maybe the the kind of the current environment is, um, there's also a ton of opportunity there.
2: Yeah. So w- one comment on that. So my first boss was probably one of the better examples of I don't want to say playing the persecuted minority role but doing kind of a subtle job of drawing attention to the fact that he was a Christian man so that he could be like a go-to resource for young Christians in the workplace or you know if if other people he encountered at work kind of wondered what was a little bit different about him they would be able to pretty quickly associate that he was Christian right uh, and so you know, on, on our team, we sat in an open floor plan. We had we didn't have cubicles or offices. We had what were called officles. So you're in basically this cubicle with a door, but the the walls don't go all the way up to the ceiling. So you, know, you can hear, like, if you're sitting next to somebody, they're having a meeting, Yeah, you know what's going on, right? And uh, so he sat in one of those in the middle of an open floor plan, and he kept an iHome on his desk that was always tuned to Z88.3, which is Orlando's Christian radio station. It wasn't, like, blaring or anything, right? Like, he's not jamming out to Christian music at work, but it was on during every meeting he had, it was on during every call he had, it was on whenever anybody was in his office, it was on after we went home at night. So, you know, if you're sitting around him, you hear the Z playing all day long, right? And so for him, it's, I guess, his way of keeping his mind on faith, keeping his mind sure. in a joyful mindset while he's doing work and and therefore, you know, hopefully living out a, a um, God, like God-tethered life in the way that he's engaging. But also, if you're in his office, you know, like you, you notice it right away, right? It's a subtle signal, exactly. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that's a silver bullet or anything, but when I started working for the guy, I thought it was a little bit interesting, right? Yeah. Because most people would not feel comfortable playing worship music in, again, a Fortune 100 company environment, and he did. Um, and since I was Christian and uh, in working for him at that point, I would say it strengthened our relationship quite a bit. Um, it opened up a lot of conversations that we could have that I probably wouldn't have been comfortable having with other direct bosses. Sure, yeah. Uh, and, you know, just taking a small step like that, I think, can go a long way. And, and he wasn't, again, trying to wage battles and, you know, go out and fight for Christianity and conversations at work or anything. That Those conversations just never came up. But he at least set himself up as an example, put himself out there a little bit, which can go a long way.
1: Yeah. Jason, one of of my observations is that um, we've been in a time over the last, well, let me say this and I'll go back, is I think we are entering a time of persecution. I think we ought to know that with our eyes open a little bit. I don't think it's too extreme yet, but we are entering that time. We've been in the last 30, 40, 50 years in the United States. It's been the perfect uh, scenario of the genius of free enterprise system and then the principles of Judeo-Christian, the principles in GDO, taught to us by Judeo-Christian principles, that intersection is very powerful because those same principles about taking care of your employees, taking care of your customers, and then the power of the free enterprise system. I mean, again, Chick-fil-A is a great example. You see their average store sales are twice what others, their competitors, sure, yeah. because they're doing a lot of those principles. So the intersection is amazing. Now, I do think as we become more secular, we are in more c- political correctness. We are bumping up on this, what we're, the discussion we're having today. So I think we ought to go in that with our eyes open. But I used to, the verses about, blessed are those who are persecuted, I've been thinking I almost feel bad about that because I don't think I have been persecuted. Matter of fact, I think in some ways we've been on the winning team. We've been on the right side. Right, we've yeah. been on the majority mm-hmm. time. at least. Now, you younger men, I think we're entering a time where that would be less true. I don't think it's extreme yet, it's been my observation, but we're kind of entering more front lines now.
0: Well, I think we're at least in a time where Chris, being a Christian in the workplace, at least in the major American cities, is not uh, a benefit any longer. So maybe it's not a loss yet, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it used to be You know, plus. 30 years ago, you want to be an insurance salesman or something, you've got to be a member of the biggest Baptist or Methodist mm-hmm. church in town just to give you credibility, right? I mean, oh, that's one of the first questions that come up. You know, where are you a member of the church or whatever? Oh, I'm a member of First Baptist. Okay, I'll buy insurance from you. Uh, Now, I think that- You you can question whether that's a
2: good thing or a bad thing. Well, no, no,
0: I don't think it was a good
2: thing. (laughs) uh, Uh, But I'm
0: saying, but culturally, yeah, it gave you cultural capital or, or social capital. I think that we're at least at a time now, maybe you don't lose a lot of social capital for saying, I'm a member of such and such a church, but I don't think it's a benefit. I think it's it's we're at neutral, neutral right now. I think that you know, 10, 20 years from now, uh, what we're seeing and probably, you know Atlanta's a little more traditional, I think even in, in more progressive cities, it's become a costly thing. And I think that's kind of the, the first tip of the iceberg toward, if we're, we're calling this persecution. Uh, You know, so, I mean, I look at, let's say, Fortune 100 companies. Um, Let's say you are a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, and you don't celebrate things like transgender, and you don't celebrate things like same-sex marriage. Will you be able to become a vice president of that company? Will you be able to become the president of that company? Will you be able to even advance in the company for holding true to your christian faith and that i think is the moment i don't think we're far from that moment where again the the tables totally turned christianity goes from being a benefit of well i know i can trust this guy he's a christian to we don't want this guy around he's a christian and that's happened pretty quick mm-hmm. um the fact that that could happen in you know maybe somebody in between you guys their working life they came into the working life more in the environment you're describing David by the time they're facing retirement age they could that could have totally switched um, that's pretty interesting so I mean, have y'all felt that already have y'all have y'all sensed that have y'all seen any signals that way or do you agree that we're kind of in this neutral place right
1: now I, I agree we're neutral trending I think agree with everything you just said we're headed toward that it seems and i don't know if that's one year or 20 or 30. Mm -hmm. uh, especially the lightning rod issues same-sex marriage those kind of uh, same-sex attraction those kind of things are litmus test questions many times Mm -hmm. so some things are so politically incorrect so i think uh we're definitely headed toward persecution but and maybe it's easier for me to say as a 61 year old and because maybe in a partner-owned firm, I mean, so you have, I mean, how? So what? 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 What's the downside of living at your faith versus what's the upside? So living it out in the corporate world, I mean, really, it it's more exciting as opposed to when everyone was just a cultural Christian.
0: Yeah, I think that's. Now. But I do think that's. It is different for you to look at yeah. as a guy who's made it, if you will, than a guy like Jim. Who are you? Thirty? How old are you, Jim? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. 20, twenty-eight.
1: Twenty-eighteen. Four years
0: ago. Twenty-eighteen. Better. Happy birthday. Thank you. So twenty-eighteen is even better. So twenty-eight, and Jim has all these dreams and aspirations, and and you know, as every twenty-eight or thirty-five year old does. And I don't know. So what's your perspective? I mean, are you thinking like, man, in 10, 15 years, when I'm like getting to executive level age, you know? what's that going to be like for me is my faith going to jeopardize that i don't know have you had those thoughts i mean i don't know what does that look like in your mind
2: yeah i definitely have had those thoughts and it's honestly it's just a tough reality to confront until it actually happens i mean i think everything you guys are saying is correct right we are definitely trending more in this direction that being said as somebody that moved to atlanta and had never lived in the bible belt until about a year ago it's refreshing to see that this is at least a little bit more of a vibrant community sure yeah and that right I mean, take for example, we lived in Boston right before this and I was in school the whole time we lived there, but my wife, Caitlin, was working. She has been a consultant her entire career. So pretty comparable experience living in DC, living in Boston, living in Atlanta in terms of work. But when you consider how often Christianity comes up in conversation across those environments, it's wildly different. Like in, in two years in Boston, proactively, nobody ever brought up faith to her in a conversation at work or like a work happy hour or work event or whatever. And then both of us moved to Atlanta and started new jobs and literally the first happy hour, like welcome week that we each had, partners from our firms came up to us and asked us where we went to church, Yeah. right? So again, this doesn't solve the big hairy questions, but it symbolizes that something a little bit different is going on here, at least versus more secular places. Uh, so, you know, living in Atlanta, it might be a question of, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. In other areas of the country, it might be more of a question of what do we do now, right? yeah, or what do we do in one through. I mean, you can
0: years? almost draw a line from Boston to Atlanta, and it's a timeline, you know, of in terms of this question, yeah, you know. And so, I, I would think DC maybe, maybe because of the nature of DC, it's a little different, but it, it, maybe there are
2: people a l- from everywhere, right? It's, but
0: but maybe a little
1: more traditional than even like a Boston or Northeast. Um, yeah, Jason, I think if I was coaching men your age too, is I think that stress is going to be a little tougher in the top 100, top 500 companies than when you're bound down to political correctness. So it might be less- It's also an interesting
2: headline there. You know, yeah.
1: And it might be less you know, owning your own business. If I said, you know what, well, this is really going to be a struggle. Maybe I need to be a leader in my own company over the next 20, 30, 40 years. My own nonprofit, my own organization, as opposed to knowing where the, uh, the big companies are headed. That's going to be tough.
0: But now, then, but then I don't want to have a culture of abandonment either. I know, right? we, just, we don't need a scenario. I mean, just thinking everybody now, leaves the top hundred companies. Kind of switching to Great Commission. Okay, so if we're going to make disciples, we need Christians in fortune 100 companies uh i mean i think that would be strategic you know Mm -hmm. uh you know we need to send if you will paul to rome we we don't need every christian to stay in jerusalem or whatever and so um but then you get a question and this is kind of the next question i want to ask you guys is is how do you balance that i mean you talked a little bit about this jim with kind of the the signal of the Christian music, you know, which I, actually when you were saying that, it made me think of like the early church when people were persecuted, you know, they had the ichthus, you know, about the ichthus, so somebody would come and draw like the top of the ichthus, and if, and if you were a Christian, you would, you would draw the bottom of the ichthus, like you knew what to do, it was a signal, it was, okay, we can have fellowship, uh, because it wasn't safe, it wasn't safe to, to, to be a Christian, um, but in a broader sense, what is the balance of that? You know, how much do you speak when you speak? When do you not? When do you when you need to bow out um, because your company is celebrating things that you just can't celebrate? I mean, have you guys thought through that um, and and have you faced situations like that where you've had to really weigh things?
1: You got to pick your battles. I saw um, a tweet from our one of our my firm uh, i was looking while i was waiting for the meeting and i saw a a couple tweets that they did that kind of was i wouldn't have done and so then i was thinking i was waiting on this meeting i'm thinking do i say anything about that or not so in some ways you have to pick your battles and what's important and where am i going to spend my time and because you have to have influence Um, so you're right we have to be embedded in these companies and um, to make a difference and i would say through these years again Things are changing, but they're still a lot the same. That um, I think one reason we have to be involved in the the faith in the intersection of faith and business is what well, we're satisfied customers. People need to know what we know as satisfied customers and the principles, and the, and then the life change if someone can be born again and the advantage of walking with the Holy Spirit. But people don't know that, so I think we're we're really compelled to talk to people about that.
2: Anything there, Jim? Just balance in general. Yeah. Uh, so I'll leave David's comment to commentary where it lies as far as choosing your battles and everything. I, I haven't had as much experience with that directly, but it's really valuable perspective. I guess when you asked the question about drawing the line, I thought about it more in the sense also of how, like how do you draw the line in terms of balance between your work and your commitments to God and your faithful commitments as well. And those commitments obviously take place both in a work environment when you walk in the door and sit down to your desk in the morning, like much of the conversation we've been having, but also at some point you go home and you do things for your family and you do things for your church that live out the spirit of God in other ways. And so in my young career, I have been in scenarios before where work has led me to have to miss sunday worship time it has led me to have to miss you know weeknight fellowship or bible study events at different times over the last few years and so that to me is probably the more pressing question again as a relatively more junior member of a team versus somebody who's an executive later in in the career at some point there is a line between those things and that's something that i've certainly grappled with quite a bit right because there are a lot of ways that you can live out God's spirit at work, and a lot of purposes that God gives us for why he places us in the jobs that he places us in. And there's some balance somewhere between, you know, God placed me in this position because he believes that I can lead his spirit into a dark environment. That's one. God places me in this position because, you know, we need to make sure that we can build resources for his kingdom. So I should work really hard and then, you know, give more and more to God or a guy places me in this position because he knows that I can be a faithful servant of him at this company, but also go home, go to my church and spend more time outside of church serving, leading fellowship groups, you know, leading service outings and that sort of thing. And so especially for younger people out there listening who are at the beginning of their career, trying to figure out which one of these three buckets they fall in identifying that I think can go a long way in determining if, where you draw the line for yourself and how you envision yourself being the best servant of God. Because that always has implications in each of the three paths of what you do when you're at work. But it also helps you contextualize, you know, where does work fit? How much of that pie for, is work for It's Is my life. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, I think that the line, yeah, because I think there's kind of like two categories. It's, it's who we are um, as a as a light, as a, as a vocal witness or whatever. And again, to your point, David, like, I think that's a little more nuanced. But then there is, I think where the lines need to get be pretty, pretty clear is who, you know, is something I've talked about with you guys is freedom of conscience. You know, I, if we're doing, having to do things that jeopardize our conscience, if we're having to celebrate things that jeopardize our conscience, if we're going to do things that. To jeopardize you know um, the, the fact that Jesus is Lord of our lives to me that's where Christians have to start just drawing the line and saying may it cost me my career you know I don't care you know I'm just not going to do that I'm not going to celebrate that I mean I think of kind of like the Hobby Lobby uh, Supreme Court case um, where they were just like, look, we're not going to cover, uh, basically, a, a abortion. I mean, we're, we're not going to let that be a part of what we offer healthcare wise And it almost cost them, it would it would have, if they would have lost that case, and it was at a 5-4, maybe it was a 7-2, but whatever it was, if they would have lost the case, it would have cost them everything. You know, they would have lost. And they, they did start their own business, right? I mean, you know. And so that, to me, I do think... And again, I don't think we're quite... I think those are on the fringes right now. But I think that Christians are going to be forced to make some of these conscience conscious decisions. And I think what my big thing is, is we can lose our whole witness pretty quickly if we're not careful. And, and to me... What I see even among pastors giving advice is, look, you know, things like sex, things like, you know, medical or even abortion. I mean, you know, as long as we can just say, you know, believe in Jesus and be saved, then we're okay. And we've kind of forsaken the rest of the Christian message, which is actually a big part of the gospel. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I guess to my, my warning as a pastor is don't do that you know don't forsake all of christianity uh to still have the opportunity to say you know yeah but uh jesus is lord if if you take away his whole message and he's jesus lord of what you know Mm -hmm. and so yeah, to me, the line is conscience. In terms of like how you witness, how you start a Bible study, I mean, those kinds of things, I think that's all more nuanced. You know, how you correct someone if they say something that's dirty or wrong or whatever. You know, I think there's God gives us wisdom in those situations. But if you're being forced to jeopardize your conscience by work, I just think that's where Christians have to be bold and courageous and draw lines. And I think when we do that, our witness will go so much further i mean we've already seen this in church history right and christians i mean in the early church christians couldn't get good jobs couldn't christians couldn't uh you know advance they weren't cultural leaders yet the witness of christ was rapidly going forward and until one day the whole emperor of the land became a believer um i just saying, like if we lose the gospel along the way um you know that's the thing i think that, that keeps me up at night if you will that scares me. Is what's going to happen along the way to evangelical Christianity?
1: And how can you do that, Jason? And and stand on those issues and bow out. Either you got to take a leadership position when those issues come up at work, and um, or you know, not even not even attend things that celebrate certain yeah. situations. Yeah. You can just bow out. Maybe that's easy sometimes. But then I'm conflicted. I agree with that, and I think we ought to do that at the same time the more mature I got I've wasted some of my life in legalism what you're talking about is not legalism but other issues are legalism and and I think about you know it seemed like Jesus was drawn to the folk who were really lost right. definitely yeah and so I think I go back to the workplace and we need to be drawn to I think those who are just in darkness
0: we don't want to be separatists
1: exactly yeah mm-hmm. so I think we can do both we and people would expect us to have this conscious like this is you gone too far here I've got to say that, but then we're immediately drawn back to the folks who are hurting, and um, and have a and it will be a little bit bold there, because we have something they need, and like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, again the interesting thing is a lot of these young people haven't haven't heard it for some it's hard to believe, but they've heard it in snippets or they haven't heard it at all, and where we are in Atlanta, and Atlanta is a melting pot of folks. So it's not like everyone here grew up in the Bible Belt. It's such a melting pot. And so it is a great opportunity, I think, to be front lines and have a, um, just an empathy for those who are, are lost and, um, and be drawn to those. And really, to me, that's kind of the front lines. Uh, again, I wasted some time in my life, early as a younger man, on legalistic type issues, I think. But in the end, I think you say that with Paul but he sort of at the end of his life, he was saying, call himself the chief of sinners. He kind of you know, he, he got more firm on some things and he but he also got closer to as he got closer to Jesus. Well,
0: I think I think it's consistency, right? I, I think what I'm talking about is consistency. And uh, so to me, what is legalism? It's not following Jesus closely. It's creating a, a law system whereby you're justifying yourself. Right. Um, but following Jesus closely does mean obedience exactly. to his commands, right? I mean, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. And so I, I just want to make sure, like, don't confuse right. legalism as self-justification, which is really what legalism is, with uh, discipleship which is obedience to the command and the way and the law of Christ. And I, I think, yeah, so if Christians are doing legalism and self-justifying themselves and, and from a position of pride and looking down on other people, then we've, lo- then we've lost the gospel, right? But following Jesus does mean that there's things that he's commanded, there's ways that he's given. I think what I'm trying to say is this. 50 years ago, Christians were in a place of being the cultural majority. 20, 30 years from now, we'll be in the place of being a cultural minority. We're in the middle of that. It's, it's like the moment where the baton is being passed between two runners in a race. We're being passed from like the Christian America to secular America, right? Yeah, I agree. I think both hands are on the baton right now. It's like that moment when like, mm-hmm. that you know, both hands are on the baton right now. What I'm worried about is Christians so enjoying this place of cultural prominence that we've had for the last 50 or something years. Right that we become the secularist with a little Christian label in the process so we don't lose the baton and if we've done that maybe we hold on to the baton but we've lost everything in the process and so that's that to me is what where we, we cannot do you know and,
1: it's like to me if we're get, so if we understand that and that's one of the great things about maybe even this this new church it is we need to get in shape for it we're entering battle You know we're getting ready to and it's not going to be bad all bad it's going to be exciting but we need to get ready and uh, so that's what i think this conversation is about Mm -hmm. so
0: let's talk about actual disciple making in the workplace um how have you guys been able to say okay there's all these people that don't know the lord jesus has commanded me to make disciples here's how i'm like doing that i'm being intentional about that um you know maybe not within the workplace but with the people i'm working with maybe a better way to put it how how has that happened in y'all's lives
1: well a couple through these years we've i've done it we've done it several different ways we've had literally you know the informal time of talking to people about your faith we've offered voluntary bible studies which is kind of out there uh we're actually using um some of Andy stanley's material right now of, of uh lunch you know is it's just more of a cultural christian discussion or you know so he has this life lunch thing we we are doing that so um so i think we can be strategic about we can get christian principles in there but it takes some subtlety so we've done it three ways talking to people individually voluntary bible studies and then these more principle-based lunch and learns
2: how about you jim Sure. Yeah. So that's really helpful perspective from somebody that, again, runs their own business is, is somebody, again, just a few years into my career, haven't been able to have to set up programs necessarily with that span or degree of influence or, uh, you know, company-wide uh, organization to this point, but just the small things, right? Like within your, your circle of influence, within your circle of connections at your employer, you can make more direct personal, outreach efforts. And so when I was living in Orlando and actually, since I moved to Atlanta, just inviting people to church, inviting people to join you at least for the big church events of the year, Easter service and so forth. If you're organizing a church outreach or a church uh, volunteering event, reaching out to your coworkers and getting them involved. I mean, there was one time I remember I led a service project in Orlando. We probably had 15 or 20 people in the group and half of them were secular people that I was friends with or connections with at work. Uh, that I just mentioned, hey, we're having this, you know, volunteering event this Saturday morning, be great if you could come on out. And then that sparks, that opens up conversations that you can can have with them about the power of the spirit and, you know, introduce them to Christianity or at least have Christ-focused conversations. Uh, So that's been more of my approach to this point. Uh, Definitely interested in trying to frame up more of the sorts of programs and, uh, and events and things that David had outlined as, career goes on. I mean, in terms of formal discipleship relationships, I would think a lot of that is probably more natural to come up when you're a manager of people. Uh, And so as I make that transition over the next couple of years, we'll definitely be focused on how to effectively do that. You can, Yeah, you can leverage that position toward, let me tell you how. People might be more willing to approach
0: you. And just the Lord, let me just tell you, like, who I am, like how the Lord's, you know. The, the Christ is a big part of my life, and that's a big big part of shaping me. And people are looking to you anyway, so right. yeah, leveraging that position of influence toward Jesus.
1: And Jason, to add on to that, I think maybe it's more my line of work, but direct market facing with clients and clients or customers. So you got the folks you work with, then you have the folks outside the four walls, and uh, that's what a great opportunity that is. Because especially if you're in a consultive practice or something, once folks really trust you and you become you become a trusted advisor then you hear about all their life issues yeah you start talking about financial but then it goes into my marriage is a wreck or whatever the issues I have and then you it's so easy and you become a trust, and you have one thing I say is you, you have to obviously earn some trust yeah so you have to build it always relationship always trumps
0: but I mean yeah but to your point like Thing, you think of like accounting, and you're like, well, that's not really related to spiritual things, but it totally is. If somebody's going to be vulnerable enough to open all of their financial, whatever, expenditures, thoughts with you, um, you've you've gotten their heart to begin opening up. That's right. And so just go ahead and take that and run it. I think that's what we're talking about. Like, it's, it's take the momentum that is there and leverage it toward mm-hmm. Christ. How can I help you guys with this? Well, if you're like, man, I wish I had a pastor that would... Do this, or help us in this way, or uh, you know, give us these resources, or what? I mean, anything that you guys can advise me on.
2: Honestly, I think the biggest thing, it, my my biggest thought in this is actually inspired by part of a sermon series we had a couple months ago when you were talking about gospel fluency. But frankly, I think a lot of the time that Christians become more passive in these sorts of when these sorts of opportunities present themselves is due to a lack of a sense that I can really speak fully to the power of the gospel right and so just as a church and as a pastor being focused on creating that sense of gospel fluency and equipping people with the tool belt that they need to take into a work environment for me is the most valuable thing because then when i find opportunities to use it or when opportunities come up and confront me that i need to use it in then i'm equipped how about you david
1: well uh I, I... Like what Jim said, I think over the months and years, maybe we can develop some marketplace tools, uh, the lunch and learns, or something that that can be uh, maybe principle-based and a little. So, I mean, I think over the years we can think about that as something for you because you understand the Bible so well, with a with a little different twist at just market-facing business issues, principles, marriage, family.
0: Well, guys, this is the power of the church, right? So we're all working together as as brothers in Christ to support one another, pray for one another. God has me in this environment, and God has you in the environments you're in, and I'm so grateful that you're there. and I know the Lord's going to use you, and uh, this has been a helpful conversation. So thank you guys so much. Well, Jim Holman and David Dieter, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it.